Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to medical experts for insight and information. I'm your host, Barry Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Matthew Ho, a neurology specialist with Queen of the Valley Medical Center in Napa, California. Today, we're answering your questions about strokes and stroke care. Remember, everyone, many of our questions come from our listeners on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Use the hashtag TalkWithADoc, that's hashtag TalkWithADoc, for a chance to hear your questions in our shows. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our guest today. Hello, Dr. Ho. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Mary. Thank you for having me on. Well, we're super excited, but let's get you started with a really easy one. Tell our listeners just a little bit about you and the work that you do. Thank you. Uh, so my name is Dr. Ho. I'm actually a neurologist and the stroke director at Queen of the Valley Medical Center. Um, my work is primarily in the acute inpatient setting. So most of uh, my uh, time is spent in the hospital. And our hospital is actually pretty unique because we have uh, around the clock um, in-house neurology and stroke management. So um, I'm happy to be on and discuss, uh, you know, stroke management with you and with everybody here today. Well, I think, you know, when you say stroke, some people think, what's the difference between a stroke and a heart attack? How do I know I'm having one? So let's start with the really easy part. What is a stroke and what's happening in the body when that happens? Right. So a stroke is very simply just um, an interruption in blood flow to the brain. And specifically, that that could be caused by a couple of different things. So a clot or bleeding or a drop in blood pressure, and any of these will prevent um, oxygen and nutrients from getting um, from your heart up to your brain. And simply, that's that's the, the simple definition of what a stroke is. And what are the, the general symptoms? I mean, what should I look for if I think somebody might be having a stroke, or if I think I might be having a stroke? What are the most common symptoms? Uh, so, a stroke is a medical emergency, and the earlier you get um, treatment for it, the, the better the outcome is. Um, just understand that brain cells, like any other cells in the body, um, they, they, bec- be, they begin to die without um, oxygen or nutrients fairly quickly. Um, in terms of symptoms, there is a very easy screening tool that um, I teach um, you know, uh, patients and families to look for. So uh, in general, you're looking at specific things. So um, uh, change in speech patterns. So when patients slur or when they can't get their words out or they can't understand speech Um, or if they have tingling or numbness or weakness in one side of the body. So, for example, if you see a facial droop in Uh, your loved ones, or if their arm or their leg isn't working properly. And then there are other other symptoms as well. So for example, vision loss or blurred vision or double vision could could be um, a sign of a stroke. Um, Dizziness, confusion, if you have severe headache with nausea um, or um, throwing up. Um, and then definitely if you're having problems walking. So in terms of easy screening, there's there's a um, an easy um, uh, method that you use that I teach my patients. So it's something called FAST. Um, and 
It stands for specifically face, arm, speech, and time, okay? So with the face, you're looking to see if um, you have a facial group or if your loved one has a facial group. Um, if you're looking at the arms, you ask your loved ones to raise their arms. And if one side looks weaker than the other, um, you may be having a stroke. Um, speech is important, like I said before. So when you're looking at speech, you're looking to see um, uh, are you having problems uh, with slurring your speech or getting your words out or understanding other people's speech? And then the last one is time. So uh, time is brain. So um, call 911 immediately or get yourself to the emergency room if you can. And so that's what FAST stands for. Talk to me about what you just said, time is brain. What exactly does that mean? So the sooner you get uh, to the emergency room and the sooner you get treatment, uh, the better your outcome is. Uh, back in the day, we didn't have a lot of treatments for stroke. And nowadays we do. We have quite a, a bit of kind of intervention options that we um, use. And depending on how quickly you get to the emergency room or you seek medical attention, um, the, the, the better your outcome is. And that when we talk about time is brain, that's what we mean. And like I said before, um, uh, with the brain, unlike other organs, when uh, brain tissue dies out, it's very hard to kind of recover that. And with the brain, tissue um, starts uh, having damage fairly early on. So how a stroke impacts your brain or how it affects your brain, is that pretty consistent for everybody or does, does my personal stroke impact my brain in, in a very unique way? So everybody's different. So um, there are two differences. So timing is different and then where you have your stroke and, and uh, what symptoms you have could be different. So uh, what I mean by timing is that someone who has a stroke and comes in within five minutes may have more uh, symptoms than someone who comes in, you know, an hour, two hours out. And so we don't know why that's the case. Some people just have more um, sensitive brain tissue. And then also, like I said, where you're talking about in terms of where your stroke is kind of um, uh, tells you what kind of symptoms you have as well. Are there certain people who are more at risk for having a stroke? Is it men or women? Is it ethnicity based? What is it looking like from the data that you're seeing? So in terms of, um, uh, you know, the at risk populations, let's back up and talk about kind of the risk factors for stroke. So in terms of lifestyle risks, um, being overweight, lack of physical activity, smoking, heavy drinking, and um, cocaine and methamphetamine use are, are big risk factors that I see. In terms of medical risks, you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, um, heart disease, um, and arrhythmias, and then a family history. So these are the type of patients that need to be looking at kind of their risk factors for stroke. And then there are uh, uh, risk factors that you can't modify. So for example, age is a risk factor. Anyone over uh, 55 is at higher risk of having a stroke. Um, you also have other risks as well. So um, ethnicity is important. African-Americans seem to have higher risk. And then there's gender differences as well. And we can go into that um, in just a bit. 
What role does health equity play in this? Because you were talking about ethnicity and family lifestyle, familial lifestyle, but I assume that it also matters whether you have access to good care, whether you have other underlying health conditions that may or may not be getting care. Is that accurate? Yes, that's very accurate. So in terms of um, medical risk factors, how aggressive um, patients are uh, in terms of controlling their risk factor ends up being um, very, very important. And then education is the other key as well. And so um, health equity uh, comes into play because uh, a lot of patients who, who, you know, don't have the resources can't get medical attention um, and then also can't afford uh, uh, the medications and then also uh, being educated in terms of what to look for and, and when to come in. So uh, health equity ends up being a, a big issue. Well, you just mentioned that there's there's other health conditions that maybe make you at risk for higher stroke. Obviously, you you know you mentioned obesity, but are there other like um, diseases or, for example, COVID? Right? Is COVID nineteen? If you get that, are you more likely to have risk for a stroke? So a little bit too early to tell, but it seems like um, COVID does increase risk. And if you think about it generally, uh, that makes sense, right? If if you have other conditions, it kind of taxes. Um, or uh, uh, over uh, um, uh, overextends your body. So someone who has COVID ends up having more um, heart disease and arrhythmias, and it ends up um, affecting other parts as well. Um, so uh, theoretically, yes, but um, indirectly, we, we know that it does. Well, while we're talking a little bit about COVID, I know that we saw as a system a lot of people that weren't seeking care early on during COVID. Either they were afraid to go to the hospital to be exposed, they were afraid that there, you know, there weren't any beds and they didn't want to bother people. But there were actually people having strokes and heart heart attacks that weren't seeking care. Have we seen that number decrease? Uh, we have. So we're seeing more patients come back to the hospital um, seeking medical attention. Um, that was a big concern for patients with heart attacks and strokes not coming in and seeking um, early kind of care. Um, we're starting to see that population come back. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing in terms of kind of preventing uh, future strokes. So at this point, we haven't seen any increase in um, the number of patients who have strokes, but we're anticipating that might be the case uh, come, uh, coming forward um, uh, in the future. How does stress, because I mean, obviously we, we've seen a huge increase in substance abuse and behavioral health issues, everything from COVID, from living in a pandemic. How does stress impact your maybe chances of having a stroke? So I think um, I like to put it in terms of, of kind of um, stress kind of causing other problems and those problems are direct. So it's, it's more of an indirect um, effect. So for example, stress increases your blood pressure. Um, and that can uh, increase your risk of stroke. Same thing with, um, you know, arrhythmia. So stress can cause arrhythmias or it, it increases your chance of having an arrhythmia if you already have that underlying condition. And that increases your risk of stroke as well. That makes sense. I know we had somebody ask a question that said, um, well, I know the difference between having a panic attack and a stroke. Um, that is a little hard to tell. So, um, you know, the safest thing is getting yourself in to seek medical attention. Um, but, uh, 
I think I, I look at the individual rather than kind of whole populations when it comes to, you know, a panic attack or a stroke. So those risk factors being important that we talked about, and then also looking at the individual and saying, you know, um, uh, are you prone to, to panic attacks or anxiety um, as opposed to someone who is, you know, uh, older um, and has all these other risk factors involved. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, let me ask you a question. You mentioned FAST, right, when we're talking about maybe, you know, looking to see if a loved one has a stroke. Do you diagnose uh -huh. a stroke differently as a doctor than I would as, you know, somebody who thinks my dad might be having one? Yes, um, we definitely do. So FAST is just kind of an easy um, uh, method that you use that you can remember. Uh, but when you come to the hospital, to the emergency room, you're, you're um, evaluated by the emergency room doctor and a neurologist. And we have different criteria in terms of a physical exam and then imaging studies. So when you're looking at um, someone who comes in with stroke-like symptoms, that's how I would describe it. Um, there are a few things that I would uh, do almost immediately when you come to the emergency room um, because of the different types of um, strokes there are. Oh, well, now you said different kinds of strokes. So I definitely want to touch on that. <clears throat> but we have to take a quick break. When we do, we're going to come back and we're going to take more questions and we're going to talk more about stroke care. Strange Girl, put your records on 
are back on Talk with the Doc, and today we're joined by Dr. Matthew Ho, and we're talking about strokes and stroke care. Um, right before the break, you mentioned that there are different kinds of strokes. Talk to me about that, because I don't know that I knew that. Okay, so um, I said earlier that a stroke is basically when you have um, an interruption in blood flow to specific parts of your brain. Um, there are uh, two main types of strokes, and then um, there's another one that I'd like to discuss as well. So um, the most common one is something called ischemic strokes, and this, this occurs in about 85% of the time. Uh, basically, what this is is when there is a blockage or a narrowing of a vessel that goes to a specific part of your brain. Um, and it causes uh, a, a reduced blood flow or something called ischemia. That's why we call it an ischemic stroke. And then you have something called hemorrhagic strokes. And this occurs in about 15% uh, of uh, patients who come in that I see. And usually this occurs when there is a rupture or a leak in the blood uh, vessel. Um, usually what, what we see in terms of a hemorrhagic stroke include um, trauma related or uh, blood pressure related or someone who comes in on blood thinners as well. So um, that occurs uh, less, but is um, actually uh, in terms of timeline, uh, we have to get to it faster as well. Um, and then the last one I wanted to discuss was something called transient ischemic attacks, which are, is, uh, uh, you'll hear the, the, the term mini stroke sometimes when, when uh, patients talk. And, and um, usually what that is, is it's temporary. It only lasts for a few minutes to a few hours. Um, it's similar to ischemic uh, strokes in terms of symptoms, but the um, actual symptoms go away. And what that is usually is a warning sign that you are at risk for having a stroke in the future. Well, one of the things that I've, I've heard throughout my years here at Providence referenced is telestroke. Um, I would love for you to tell our, our listeners just a little bit about that program, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So um, telestroke is, is basically having, um, having a, a um, tele-device in the emergency room that um, the ER physician can access quickly uh, when they see a patient who they, they're concerned about having a stroke. Um, and then you can get a neurologist on fairly quickly. Um, and the neurologist can kind of evaluate you remotely from the telehealth device um, to see if you're having a stroke and see if you need intervention quickly. And we can go into the intervention types um, afterwards as well. Oh, let's do it right now. I'm fascinated by your intervention. <laughs> Okay. So uh, I told you before that back in the day, we didn't have a lot of interventions in terms of stroke management, but now we do. And so um, that's the reason why I want to get the word out that, um, you know, 
having a stroke coming in early is, is very, very key, not just to figure out if you're having an ischemic stroke or a hemorrhagic stroke, which we do by imaging, but then also um, to intervene if we need to. So uh, when we talk about time as brain, I'm talking specifically about coming in as soon as your symptoms occur, um, because that is when we decide whether you need treatment or not. Um, currently, there are different um, uh, um, treatment options that we have, something called um, uh, IVTPA, um, or um, there are other different types of medications that we use as well. And then something called mechanical thrombectomy. Um, in terms of TPA or tenecteplase, which are the medications we use, it's, it's time sensitive. We can only use it within a certain period of time. And the reason why is because the studies have shown that if we use it outside this time uh, window, the medication is not effective. And you can understand why, because I told you that, that, um, the brain tissue is is sensitive in terms of how long it has to live uh, without oxygen or nutrients. And so um, with this medication, if you use it outside that period of time, that 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 tissue is already damaged. And so um, that medication would not work. But um, that medication also has risk to it as well. Um, in terms of timeline, we use the three hour uh, rule and the four and a half hour rule. And there are specific criteria you have to meet in order to come in and get the medication. So when I say three hours or four and a half hours, I mean, that's the time since you were last known to be well. So someone who comes in, and, you know, with uh, stroke-like symptoms, one of the questions I always ask is, when were you last seen to be normal, either by yourself or a family member? And that's, that's time zero. That's when I start um, the clock. And if you meet the requirement, meaning if you're, uh, if you're coming in less than three hours or less than four and a half hours, depending on uh, certain criteria, then you meet requirement for this medication. Now with the medication, there is risk as well because the medication actually dissolves clots. It can cause bleeding. And so we have to be very careful in terms of who we use it. Uh, use the medication on. In addition, there's something called mechanical thrombectomy. And what that is, is it's actually um, fairly new, probably within the last 10 years or so. Um, and what we do is um, they actually take a wire and they go up through your groin and go up to the clot and actually pull it out. And we have started using that on patients, you know, um, uh, outwards of, of several hours out. So beyond the Three, and a half, three hours or four and a half hour kind of rule. We've used it on patients up to um, eight or 12 hours with this uh, new technique as well. When you talked about the importance of getting in in a hurry and you talked about the different types, I assume that I, as a general layperson, would not know the difference between an ischemic or hemorrhagic by my symptoms. That's something that you would have to diagnose, right? Yes, and usually that's that's based on physical exam and on imaging. So um, when you come to the emergency room, one of the first things you're going to get a, is a, an imaging study to make sure that there's no bleed because um, if there is or if there is not, that changes how I manage you, um, both in terms of the treatment options and then also how I intervene as well. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. When someone comes in, uh, that's one of the first things we do. Um, in terms of coming in by, by uh, ambulance or coming in 
you know, by private vehicle or just getting yourself there, whatever means you can. Uh, coming in is the most important thing, um, but coming in, um, you know, by ambulance or, or letting the ER know that you're coming in in advance is actually important as well so that we can prepare. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, is there anything I can do at home? Like if I think a loved one is having a stroke, other than getting them very quickly, right? Um, obviously, you just said I could call ahead. Are there any anything else we should do between the time we think that they're having a stroke and we get to the emergency room? Uh, getting to the emergency room is probably the most important thing um, in terms of other things that you can do. Um, you know, blood pressure is important management kind of early on. I wouldn't expect um, uh, a patient or, or family member to be able to check a blood pressure. So if you if you think you're having a stroke, come to the emergency room or call 911 as soon as you can. Well, while we're talking about being at home, what can I do to prevent a stroke? So in terms of prevention, um, it's all the risk factors that we were talking about, right? There are risk factors that we can't control, you know, age, um, gender, um, and ethnicity, we can't control, but all these other ones we can. So for ex example, lifestyle risk, um, being sedentary or lack of physical activity um, ends up increasing your stroke risk, smoking, heavy drinking, um, uh, cocaine or methamphetamine use. So, so, you know, you try to avoid those things. In addition, um, treating your your medical risk factors is also important as well. So controlling your blood pressure, that means also controlling your stress level and, and, and kind of just overall um, healthy living. Cholesterol, diabetes um, are important as well. So those are the things we try to uh, treat kind of early on to prevent uh, having a stroke. Um, in addition, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether taking um, aspirin or Plavix, a baby aspirin a day, does it really help? Well, that, that kind of depends on what your risk factors are. Well, if I do have a stroke, unless mm -hmm. I never do, but am I more likely to have another stroke again after that? Yes. Um, for the same reason that you are at risk, uh, your risk factors are higher, having a stroke is actually one of the risk factors as well. Um, we know that uh, patients who have had strokes are at risk for having kind of recurrence of strokes or worsening strokes early on and then having um, um, increased risk of having strokes kind of later on as well. Is, is one of them more impactful than the other, the familial history like my or my lifestyle, or are they kind of equally risky? Um, I think blood pressure is the biggest risk, but overall, um, all the medical risk factors are, are, are important. And then um, lifestyle risks, I think that that's also important, mainly because you can control those. These, these are things that you can kind of um, affect in terms of um, outcome based on, you know, your habits, your, your um, uh, social habits, your living habits as well. So those are the ones I try to focus in on because these are simple things that you can do at home. That makes sense. One of the questions somebody sent us was, is it possible to have a mild stroke and not even know it? Yes, that actually uh, does happen quite often. Um, what we're finding in terms of imaging uh, patients is that um, a lot of patients will have something called silent strokes. And just imagine your brain, you know, there's, there's lots of areas of your brain that you don't necessarily... 
um, notice if, if a stroke occurs. So um, those things that I was talking about in terms of, you know, seeing a facial droop or your arm going weak or numb or having slurred speech, that these are very small areas in your brain. So there's other areas that can affect your memory, um, your your coordination, things like that, that you might not notice. And it, it might be very, very mild, but uh, end up being strokes. And now we're finding on imaging studies um, that patients have most likely had kind of minor strokes or small strokes or, or silent strokes. I call them silent strokes um, and not know it. So that's the reason why kind of modifying our risks um, is very, very important. Are those mild strokes or, or even primary strokes, are they more common in men versus women? I, I feel like that's what we hear. I don't know if that's true or not. So um, the truth is uh, in terms of stroke, um, just imagine men have higher risk for a stroke, but more women have strokes over you know uh, their lifetime, mainly because they have a longer um, average lifespan. Um, and so uh, when you're talking about um, risk of stroke, women actually are more likely than men to survive ischemic strokes, but um, they have greater disabilities um, when they do have a stroke um, compared to men. Um, with with women, there are other kind of um, unique risks as well. So I told you that blood pressure is a risk. So pregnancy, when you when you are pregnant, your blood pressure may go up, and and that's a risk. Um, in addition, birth control pills, hormone re replacement therapy, these are all kind of risks as well. I'm not saying don't go on birth control pills or hormone replacement therapy. It's just it ends up uh, kind of. Uh, being risk factors that, that we as physicians have to um, account for as well. In addition, um, migraine ends up being a risk as well. Um, and so um, migraines affect women more than men. So these are a few of the factors that we have to kind of take into account when we're looking at uh, women um, and men and stroke risks. Well, that all makes sense. I know we're almost out of time, but I have a pretty big question for you. And, and that's that if someone receives help quickly, or even if they don't, what does recovery from a stroke look like? Um, so uh, let's actually uh, talk about kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, getting uh, care sooner rather than later. Um, if you end up having a stroke, um, the likelihood that you're, um, uh, that you're gonna pass away from the stroke increases five times compared to the general population. Um, and in terms of uh, long-term risks, um, patients who have strokes end up um, having twofold increased risk of death after a year. So getting health uh, care intervention is very, very important. Um, when you do have a stroke, um, about 10% of patients with strokes end up recovering completely without any symptoms. Um, about 25% end up having minor um, impairment and a large percentage, so 40% end, end up having severe impairment where you end up needing, um, you know, uh, long-term rehab or skilled facility kind of intervention. So um, getting the care is important to kind of um, decrease those risks. Well, we are pretty much at the end, but I want to give you one last chance. Is there anything that you want our listeners to take away from this uh, show that we did not cover? Sure. I think the most important thing is, is seeking medical attention either 
calling your doctor or coming in the emergency room or calling 911 is the most important thing uh, because time is bright. So um, come in, seek medical attention. Um, there are treatments that, that we have now that we didn't have before that can decrease uh, you know, your risk of death and mortality uh, and mor morbidity as well. Wonderful advice, Doc. So thank you, Dr. Ho, for joining us today on Talk with a Doc and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. Make sure to listen to our future episodes on Dash under the Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening.